Welcome to Ed Council Insights. This is our podcast to provide insights into new developments in the Missouri education community. If you are a Missouri school leader, school board member, or any public educational decision maker in Missouri, well, you're in the right place. Today, we're going to be talking about teacher no-shows. This fall, we have witnessed a rise in the number of teachers who, for a variety of reasons, have, in effect, abandoned their jobs. I'm talking about teachers who are no-call, no-shows, or perhaps they call in, but they've exceeded their leave, or and but they're just not prepared to, to come to work in, in front of the classroom, or perhaps they have just become unresponsive as we've tried to follow up with them as they fail to appear for work. They are still a teacher who is under contract to teach with the Board of Education, but are just simply not fulfilling the obligations to teach. Certainly, these are trying times. The pandemic and all that has gone with it, physically and mentally, pressures from unreasonable parents, and consistent political attacks on public education have all taken a toll upon educators. As a result, we have a number of questions about how best to respond to these situations. Now, joining me today to talk through some of these issues is my partner, Emily Almahundro. Welcome, Emily. Hello. How are you doing? I am good. Ready to get this party started. Yes, you want to get this party started and over so you can get ready for a Chris Stapleton concert tonight. That's right. We have limited time here, my friend. Okay, fair enough. Um, today we're talking about uh, teacher absences and perhaps separation and um, resignations. Uh, you know, this is the first time I can recall, Emily, where in October we're talking about an uptick in the number of teachers who have sought uh, resignation or release from their contract, or perhaps they're not even just showing at all and they're unresponsive to the school district. But what can you tell us generally about teacher resignations early? Right. So we have, as you said, seen many more um, situations this year where we have teachers who are e who either never showed up for the first day of classes or after a few weeks or a month in have let administration know that they are exiting, don't plan to return. There are a variety of reasons for this. Um, we are seeing teachers who are exiting or wanting to exit the profession entirely. Um, we are seeing teachers who are just sort of generally burned out or um, are indicating that they don't feel comfortable being in the classroom. We are also seeing situations where teachers' workloads have increased in a way, whether that's due to staffing shortages or the need to do things in person and virtually, and that that feels too much for them. And then we're also seeing teachers who um, have mental health or physical health issues who do not feel like they can continue with their contractual duties because of those um, health issues. So, you know, we're seeing a, a kind of a wide array of issues that are causing these 
very late mid-year or right at the beginning of the year resignations after having either signed a probationary contract or not notifying the district, um, you know, by that June 1st statutory deadline for our tenured teachers. So we are seeing um, so much more of that this year than we have ever seen before. I'm, I don't think it's, it's not a surprise um, with the current climate, but it's, doesn't reduce the amount of struggle associated with the process and just the staffing issues that are facing public education right now. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, release process and the decision to release a teacher from their obligation to teach under their contract. Who makes that decision and how's that supposed to work? Okay, so that is a board decision. So uh, the board is statutorily required to be entering into those contracts with teachers. So board votes and approves those hires and entering into those contracts and then teachers signs them. And then that also means that um, the board is the entity that has the authority to release a teacher from a contract, whether that is a probationary teacher or a tenured teacher. And so, you know, unlike support staff who may be able to submit a resignation to a supervisor and or the superintendent and have that accepted and approved at the administrative level, a teacher resignation, because that's a contractual relationship, must go before the board. And is the board required to release a teacher if they ask for it? No. So the board is not required to release a teacher simply because that request has been made. Um, and, and, you know, one thing that I think that we're seeing with the current situation is that we have had a number of teachers who simply either do not understand or perhaps don't appreciate that uh, it's not as simple as submitting a letter of resignation. Um, you know, we've had teachers who are saying, I dropped my letter of resignation off on your desk, principal, and my Chromebook, and my um, keys are on my desk in my classroom, and my last day is Friday, or was see Friday. Ya. Yeah, exactly. Just see you later. You know, kind of like a breakup and, and not like a contractual release. So we are, you know, one of the first things that administrators are having to do is educate their teachers about this process, because this is, you know, new to many teachers. This is not the time of year that they would typically be looking at exiting. And so there is some education that has to go on there about resignation. And then even once our teachers understand that it's not as simple as resigning and walking away, we also have to do some education about the idea that they the board may elect not to release them. And so, you know, we have been discussing options with superintendents and boards, you know, when we get one of these letters of resignation, or it's really a request for a release from contract, right? That the board needs to take up. And so the board has a number of different options before it when one of those requests for release comes in. Well, you know, sometimes you, in talking with superintendents, they just, they're just like, well, can't we just stop paying, paying them and, um, and let them just go um, or have the boat, maybe pull the board together and just vote to terminate them. Um, it's, 
really not that simple, is it? No, it would be, you know, it would be nice if it was, is, could be that tidy. Uh, but in fact, because we have this contractual relationship and the Teacher Tenure Act, the process is more complicated than that. So we have to put that request for release before the board and explain to the board what the consequences are of a potential release from contract. So the first issue I think that comes to mind is if we're going to release a teacher from their contract of employment, you know, what has our past practice been in that regard? Right now, it's districts are having trouble filling regular positions and they're also having major trouble even getting substitute teachers. So that's not going to be news to anyone who's listening to us talk today. I think that, you know, the, the main issue is that uh, the board and, and the administration needs to look from a practical perspective at a couple things. Um, what do we want our practice to be regarding releasing individuals mid-contract? And what kind of precedent does that set going forward? What's the point of having a contractual relationship if we are not going to, you know, the parties are not going to abide by that? So that's one issue. And then another issue is from not really a legal perspective, but from a practical perspective, what does it mean if, if we tell a teacher, you can't, we're not going to release you from your contract, you need to stay? What kind of what kind of person is going to be working for us after that? So, so that's just kind of a practical question that we need to ask. And then also, you know, can we find a suitable replacement? And most districts have policies regarding, uh, you know, certified staff resignations that indicate that one of the considerations will be whether a suitable replacement can be found. And so that perhaps the board may not consider allowing someone to resign and be released from that contract unless or until a replacement can be found. Now, there may be some positions where we feel like we can fill that pretty quickly. I don't know if that's going to be the case as much right now as perhaps it was in the past, but there, there are certainly other positions where we know that if we have someone leave in mid-October, that we are not going to have somebody in that classroom that's going to be even close to as qualified as the person who's seeking to resign. And, you know, that we may not be able to fill that position for the whole year. So we may be looking at a mishmash of subs or, you know, a 550 to fill in for one semester and a 550 to fill in for another. So that's a lot of planning and thinking. So that's, that's certainly a suitable replacement issue is one thing. So the board can certainly have that discussion and look at that when considering a request for release. And then a, another consideration is, does your district have a liquidated damages policy and or provision in the contract with our teachers. So liquidated damages are things that many districts have gone to in recent years because there needs to be an incentive in some ways for uh, staff members, for teachers to stick with that contract and the liquidated damages are in order to account for the time and the expense associated with finding a replacement for the teacher. So 
when we get a request for a release from contract and you are a district who has a liquidated damages provision, that request for release really needs to include with it a money order, basically, or cashier's check for the amount of liquidated damages. If the teacher wants that request for release to be taken up by the board, because you know, our guidance generally regarding liquidated damages and enforcing those provisions is that the board should not take a resignation and, and vote to accept that without having those liquidated damages paid already up front by the teacher. If the board accepts a resignation and wants the district to attempt to recover those liquidated damages later after having accepted the resignation, the chances of recovering the, the liquidated damages is, is very slim. And also from a practical perspective, you know, those liquidated damages are usually between 500 and maybe $3,000 and uh, generally not worth trying to spend legal expenses on going after. So uh, those LDs really need to be paid upfront in order for the board to be considering that request for release. You know, a lot of what you've been talking about um, relates to the type of situation where we have a resignation and we're able to kind of work through that with the teacher. But there are some situations where we're really not in a position to accept a resignation for a variety of reasons or maybe, you know, but we're having to go through the termination process. And we're talking about ending the, the, the contractual legal obligation of the, of the board and the teacher. Talk to me about what that process has to look like in this scenario. So when, you know, we get this request for release and if the board is not inclined to release the teacher from their contract, but we still have a teacher who's saying, I'm not returning. What, what we're looking at is the, a breach of the contractual obligations and non-compliance with board policy. So board rejects a request for resignation and then it gets basically sort of sent back to the administration to deal with from a procedural perspective and what does that look like well that looks like um, notifying the employee the board received your request for release and did not um, agree to release you from your contract of employment and then the administrator is going to be communicating with that teacher the expectation that the teacher returned to work and perhaps also documenting the excessive absence of the, of the employee up to that point or thereafter, and also um, any failure to comply with directives. So, you know, termination under the Teacher Tenure Act can be for only certain reasons under the law. So one of those reasons would be excessive or unreasonable absence and then also, you know, willful or persistent violation of board policy. So when we have a teacher who has asked to resign and then is refusing to return to work, we're looking at that excessive absence statutory reason. And then we're also looking at board policies regarding absences and um, your staff conduct policy, which talks about, you know, requiring employees to comply with administrative directives. So 
after that rejection of the request to resign, what we would essentially be doing is writing the employee up via a disciplinary memo for the excessive absence and violation of staff conduct policy and creating that documentation that we would just as we would for any other disciplinary situation that may be going down that termination path, essentially giving them that notice of board policy violation or discipline memo, whatever your district calls that. And then at a particular point, we would be issuing a statement of charges against that teacher based on that excessive absence and violation of board policy and proceeding with the termination process. So if the board decides to opt it, to go down that road of, um, you know, instead of accepting the resignation, it's going to be a termination. And maybe even they want to pursue the license of the teacher, right, for job mm-hmm. abandonment. Mm-hmm. Um, how's that all fit? I mean, can you, for example, can you accept a resignation, work out the deal on the liquidated damages if that's applicable, and then and then go seek the license? Or is it, how's that work? That's a good question. So, you know, we, the board really cannot, they cannot accept the resignation and accept liquidated damages and then turn around and discipline the license uh, or ask request for license discipline. Why is that? Because it, it looks like we said, okay, you can go, but now we're going to, now we're going to take this punitive action, right? So that's really not uh, an, an option. So if, if the, if the board from a, from a place of principle wants to indicate, Hey, we are not going to allow our teachers who have promised to come teach our kids this year. We're just not going to allow them to, uh, as you said, abandon the district and the kids mid-year and leave us in a lurch. Then the, the path that must be taken is that termination process. And then after termination, the board would work with their legal counsel to file the necessary uh, paperwork with the state board to request disciplinary action against the license of the teacher for, for contract abandonment. And so we can't really have it both ways. We can't say, no, we're not going to go to the expense or the work of a termination. Uh, we're just going to we're just going to deal with license discipline. You have to do it all, and and so if if the goal is to you know take kind of a stand against this mass exodus that we are seeing in some districts, the whole process must be used. Okay, and kind of clears the air, or at least I think gives us a good outline of some of the issues that come up if we you know, do decide to go down the process of terminating. and uh, But what if one of the things that I seem to be working through with clients a lot is the issue of, you know, do we have some sort of FML issue or perhaps an ADA issue here? Because um, the individual is, is, maybe they're suffering from a physical impairment, but more likely a mental impairment. Talk to us about how that works and how that fits into what you've just been talking about. Yes. So, you know, as we alluded to at the beginning of the podcast, you know, we were talking about the variety of reasons people may be seeking release. 
And what we are running into, we are running into the disclosure by these employees, by these teachers of either a physical or mental health condition that is essentially preventing them from being able to effectively do their job or, or, you know, is taking the desire away to, to report to work. So then, you know, they're not showing up to work. Well, you know, in, in the regular scheme of things, when we have an employee who is unwell and they are not coming to work in the HR world, that triggers for us this idea of, well, wait a minute, we have somebody who's unwell and they're unable to perform their job. So that tells us we need to send FMLA paperwork, or we need to be having the interactive discussion under the ADA um, in order to figure out, you know, to fulfill our legal obligations as an employer and, and make sure that the district is well protected from a claim of, you know, a failure to comply with the FMLA, uh, FMLA retaliation, a, you know, disability discrimination, that sort of thing. So when we, a lot of times when we get these letters of resignation or requests for release, right with that, we're getting information, health information about the employee. And so the district needs to have their, you know, antenna up for whether we have to send FMLA paperwork and go through that process. So we may end up having, and this has happened with a number of different teachers so far this year, you know, we may end up having this kind of unwelcome delay in this process because we as the employer really cannot take any sort of employment action until we've fulfilled our legal obligations associated with this notification of health information we've gotten from our teacher. So the district needs to be very aware that before we're disciplining someone or before we're starting that termination process, we really need to be going through the FMLA and or ADA process with these individuals who are notifying us of this health issue in order to be able to then, if they don't qualify or are not responsive, as you noted earlier, and that's what's happening in many situations, you know, first we need to be doing that process and, and working our way through that so we can say, hey, we offered you this, you know, legally protected leave and you either didn't fill out the paperwork or you didn't have a doctor who was willing to say that you needed this leave or you just didn't respond to us. So we fulfilled our obligation on the front end and yet you are still not, you know, returning to work or, you know, you did not respond to us and give us a sufficient amount of information or perhaps any information that would indicate that you could take some leave instead of just, you know, trying to totally exit. So the issue with that, though, as I said, is it causes a delay in this overall process because under the FMLA timeline, you know, they have a certain number of days to get us information about this need for leave, that's that leave certification. And then if they don't give us that information within that required time period, then we as the employer have to follow back up and say, hey, we didn't get a response from you or we got an insufficient amount of information from you. So we're notifying you that if you don't provide that to us within X number of days, your leave may not be approved or or whatever. And so we have to do that. And, and I think, I mean, that really sets us back basically a month by the time that's all said and done, because we really can't discipline until we get through that process in order to make sure that we are not engaging in some 
legally inappropriate activity associated with an employee's health condition. So we just need to have our radar up for that and be ready and willing with those timelines so that we can take as prompt of action as possible when we get to the end of that, that FMLA ADA process um, so, so that we can move forward with the termination if we have to. What about pay, Emily, during this kind of period? And you know, how's that supposed to work? They're still a teacher under contract, but they're not showing up. Yeah, um, so that's tricky, I think. So most districts have a policy that would indicate that employees who are taking um, an excessive amount of leave or who are taking unapproved leave could be docked in their pay for those days. And, and really, this is going to be more about whatever approach your district and your board want to take. The issue is, is that when we're, if, if we, it's, I think it's simpler personally, when we just have someone who says, oh, I got a better job, I'm out of here, or I hate my job, I'm not coming back, or, you know, when and we don't have a, a health, a health related concern. But um, so, so when we don't have a health related concern, and someone has basically just ghosted us, um, we have the ability to say, hey, these absences are not approved. Our policy says that when they're not approved or they're excessive, you're not going to receive pay for those days. Because remember, these people aren't on paid administrative leave. They're just not showing up for work. So when we have that arise, I think that the district just needs to decide, are we going to treat this like paid administrative leave? Or are we going to lean on our policy language? Do check the policy language, of course. But are we going to lean on our policy language and say, if you're not here, you're not getting paid, even if you have paid leave available? Um, but when we get into those more health related issues, I think that's when it becomes a little bit trickier because, you know, typically if someone is ill, we would be allowing them to take paid leave and then going through that FMLA process or ADA process and they would be able to use that leave, that available paid leave until it runs out. You know, but we've got, uh, you know, situations where we have teachers who have banked, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 days of leave and they they've not shown up to work they're saying that they've got these health issues but then they're also not responding to us or filling out fmla paperwork so i mean my thought would be that if you know if you want to take that risk after they have not completed the fmla process that at some point they become excessively absent and those absences aren't approved so we're going to stop paying them if our policy allows us to do that um, the other option would be to just notify them that they're on paid administrative leave essentially until the board takes action regarding a, a termination and just treat it like we would any other termination in that regard. So it, it really just depends on what stance the district wants to take and what that policy language says. In looking at that um, and trying to decide, okay, do I just accept this resignation or is this something that we move forward with termination, maybe even seek the license to teach, you know, what kinds of things do they need to be thinking of in terms of cost benefit? So the decision to accept a resignation versus going through with the termination process, I mean, there's no question that just from a dollars and cents perspective that it would be less expensive to accept the resignation and move on. But 
we are also setting a precedent for potentially allowing that going forward. Now, we've also seen some situations where accepting a resignation would actually be quite expensive. So, you know, we've had um, some contracted employees who do um, very specialized services, not necessarily teachers, but, you know, like interpreters and speech paths and, you know, some of those individuals were having someone come in and sub or getting an outside contractor to come in and do that work would be astronomically expensive. So that's kind of an anomaly. But when we're talking about teachers, it's it's less expensive to just accept the resignation. But at the same time, as I said earlier, from a matter of principle, you know, going through that termination hearing um, that someone may not show up for, you know, they have to request the hearing in order to, to have the hearing. We, they may not even request the hearing if they're not communicating with us. But uh, yeah, that's going to, I mean, it's going to be more expensive because we're legally obligated to hold this hearing in a particular way and create the appropriate record. And then if the board wants to go in the direction of license discipline, that's a totally separate cost. That's not something that the uh, state attorney general's office takes up on their own. That's something that has to be district initiated and in, in a sense, district quote unquote prosecuted. And so that's also an expense for the district. But again, um, it's a matter of it's a matter of principle and, and what the board would like to do in that regard and whether or not that's worth it. Those are all great observations and insights, Emily. Thanks for taking the time today to kind of share your thoughts and experiences with us on teacher absences and, and potential separations. And thank you, the listeners, for taking the time today to listen to Ed Council Insights. We hope you'll follow and share our Ed Council podcast on social media and subscribe to hear upcoming episodes on current legal topics and issues related to school law. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn, or you can check us out on our website. Just Google Ed Council, that's E-D-C-O-U-N-S-E-L, all one word, and you'll find us there. Glad we could be together, and thanks for listening to this edition of Ed Council Insight.